and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, even though you may not get it early, <laughs> we're recording earlier than normal. Well, yes. <laughs> you know, n- nor- normally we we try and record um, the Sunday morning between qualifying and the race, um, but thanks to some scheduling challenges this week, we're actually recording the Friday night prior to qualifying, so we don't know what's going on. So basically, this is an entire preview show. Preview of something. Something. I mean, there, there's plenty of stuff for us to talk about before we get to qualifying, so I think we'll be good. And we better be. But we have co- gone long a couple of shows, so we could do a, a shorter show and, you know, average. Somebody is probably going, oh, thank God, it might be a shorter show. <laughs> <laughs> then there's probably somebody else going, you could go longer. I, I, don't I know. hope there's more people that are saying you could go longer. But we'll, we'll just see where this ends up. Well, are we going to start with short story? I was not going to make a short <laughs> joke. I was just not going to do that. <laughs> I might make several short jokes. They'll be really little. It's okay. They'll just have minor laughs. Well, th- this this was a, a story that we meant to, to mention last week, but it was a big enough deal to us that we thought it was worth bringing up this week. But it's so small, it could help. Man. <laughs> You know, I would bet that if we actually met him, he's probably taller than you. <laughs> that doesn't take much. So, anyway, backing up a little bit. As actually, recall, I think he's shorter than I am. I think they said how tall he is. Okay. Anyway, since nobody knows who the hell you're talking about. He's short. Nobody knows who you're talking about. Just let, let, let's finish <laughs> setting up the story here and what's going on. As you recall, last year, Audi announced that they were taking their toys and going home after winning uh, the World Endurance Championship title, well, basically just destroying everybody else for quite a few years. And then Porsche showed up, and they thought that was a really good idea to pack up and leave. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of their more successful drivers, and one of the names that is very well known and and well-associated with the Audi Le Mans program was Alan McNish. And if you happen to listen to BBC's Five Live, he's often on Five Live, has been doing some of the uh, BB, uh, the Channel 4 coverage. He gets interviewed every now, so he often. he doesn't do the Channel 4 coverage at all. Then he, he, was, he showed up last year when they were still on BBC? Two years ago. Two years ago? Okay. Actually, maybe three now. Well, um, but but he's he, been he, on the TV. Yeah, w- Alan McNish took over on the BBC uh, uh, broadcasts when Gary Anderson left. Right, that's how I know how short he right. is. Right, that was the year that, um, that immediately following his retirement from Le Mans, he went over and became a television pundit. And actually, he was pretty good at it. I, I enjoy listening to him yeah. on the uh, five live broadcast he's very very knowledgeable and can really break things down nicely um which you, you know you could expect from somebody that's barely five feet tall yeah so the <laughs> <laughs> and i got you to say yes and everything uh, so the reason why we mention alan mcnish is because when audi left le mans they announced that th- they were leaving le mans to start a formula e team well, actually, no, about two weeks ago, the Audi Sport ABT Schaffler Racing Team, 
announced their team principal, as one Alan McNish. So congratulations to uh, Alan on his new program. Uh, to his, his rise new, to a new level. His, his new position. Uh, we wish him the best of luck and the team. Uh, they will be racing the Audi e-tron FE04 car. And it's the first single-seater ever developed for Audi in terms of racing. Cool. Because I guess the um, Le Mans car isn't considered a single-seater. Hmm. Well, you know, as both Audi and Allen fans, you know, we, we now fully support the Audi F Formula E team. Does that mean you're actually going to watch Formula E? I don't know. Did we? We tried to watch a race, and then it got dull. I think I took a nap. Well, no, it ended really good. Oh. No, I started watching the race. Um, I said, hey, the Formula E race is on, the first ever Formula E race, and you said, I don't have time to get into another racing series. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what, that's okay. what happened. <laughs> that um, and then it And it had an amazing finish. And I made you watch that, and you went, wow, that was really good, and then you didn't watch any more. Because I don't have time for another formula race series. But uh, driving for Audi this year will be reigning Formula E champion Lucas Degrassi, along with his teammate Daniel Apt. Um, And Apt has been named also an Audi factory driver. The uh, team will make its racing debut in a Formula E season open. Formula E season opener on December 2nd in Hong Kong. Well, you know, maybe I'll have to pull up a little Formula E so I can check in with my friend. I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> well, I, I, I had so many options. I was going to go with my little friend, <laughs> my diminutive wow. friend. <laughs> it's a small friendship. Very tiny. We, as it were. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and the short jokes have now ended. No, really. Moving on. <laughs> so I got wind of this story. I'm scrolling really? through my, my Twitter feed. And no, I did not become Twitter pated because that's you. <laughs> I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed and I come across this post from... Um, Will Buxton at NBC Sports that just says, well, it's been a really great five years. We'll see what happens next. Or something along those lines. And I'm going, what just happened here? Because obviously something's up. Did, did Will, you know, is, did he get fired? Or, they, you know, what's the deal? And I scroll down a little bit longer, and I catch from uh, somebody po- retweeting I think it was a post from Bob Varsha. Um, no, it was Lee Diffie re- retweeting a, a tweet from Lee Diffie to a link over to the NBC Sports press box, which all it was is a statement. And I'm going to read word for word what this says. Okay. For immediate release, Wednesday, October 4th, 2017. Statement from an NBC Sports spokesperson on Formula One media rights. I'm, I'm reading this word for word here. Statement from an NBC Sports spokesperson on Formula One media rights. 
Although we take great pride in having grown Formula One's visibility and viewership since we became its exclusive U.S. media rights holder in 2013, this will be our last season with the series. In this case, we choose not to enter into a new agreement in which the rights holder itself competes with us and our distribution partners. We wish the new owners of F1 well. Ouch. Yeah. And now I'm going, crap, did we just lose Formula One in the United States? I mean, as much as we bash NBC Sports, did we just lose Formula One in the United States? Well, I hope not, considering Liberty is a United States company, so maybe one of their media outlets will pick up Formula One? Well, that was what my hope was, because I'm like, I, I can't imagine Liberty's just walking away. I mean, again, they keep talking about how they want to build the American market. Maybe having a broadcast partner might be a really good idea. It's, it seems to be essential to building the American market to actually be able to broadcast the races. Yeah. So thankfully, about two hours later, Jenny Gal posted this story from ESPN in the UK announcing that ESPN has secured the uh, U.S. Formula One broadcast rights from 2018. Got it. So ESPN will be. Do you think will Formula One will appear on the Ocho? Um, no, actually, it will not. We, we, we've got a little more about that <laughs> as to where it will be. Um, beginning with the Australian Grand Prix in March, every race will air live on ESPN, ESPN Two, or ABC. The package will include every practice and qualifying session and involve more than 125 hours of F1 programming across the first season. Now, this is where it's key, and we just did some of this math because our hope was that as bad as NBC Sports coverage was, that hopefully we would get greater and, and more in-depth coverage. But we just did the calculation in a 21-race season. 125 hours of programming works about, out to about, about five or six hours a weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, six. It's a, it's almost right at six. So two hours for a race, an hour for qualifying, and then three practice sessions about an hour apiece. There's six right there. That That's means no, no pre-race, no, no post-race. No extra, extra, no any of that. Yeah. We still have to get who their commentators are. And um, ESPN, a note from me to you. David Hobbs is a drunk and needs to retire. You know, the number of folks in all the articles that I have seen announcing that ESPN was taking over of folks going – Oh man, I hope they they bring over Lee Diffie and and uh, Matchett and Hobbs, and I'm going no, no. And then others are going, well, maybe they'll bring back Varsha too, and I'm going no, <laughs> no, <laughs> anything but that. I mean, okay, Steve Matchett, yeah, I'll, I'll sign off on Steve Matchett. I'm good with that. We will approve a Steve Matchett on the team. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need David Hobbs. Particularly him. We don't need David Hobbs. Find somebody. Now, there's some concern because I guess there, there's some folks on the common, the ABC commentating team for IndyCar that are 
pretty bad too. So, yeah, I don't know, but please Please, don't bring over the whole team. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. We're just going to get really honest about David Hobbs. I'm sure he's a lovely gentleman. But he lost it with me the year that, and I kid you not, we were doing Monaco, and he announced that at one of the corners – as the car is rounding the corner and hitting the apex, and it's a beautiful turn. It wasn't about the car. He mentioned that the bar that was sitting on that corner had the best gin and tonic that he's ever had in his entire <laughs> life. I remind you that I am watching Formula One for the car hitting the apex and sliding around that corner in just a beautiful... There's a gin and tonic in that very fabulous bar. And I think he might have had a t- couple of them. Yeah. So... That was the year, and that was not this year. It was a several years no, ago. No, it was just a couple of years. I want to say it was in Monaco. What? I want to say it was Monaco. I know it was Monaco. Yeah. Um, but it was a couple of years ago, and he, I, I've never forgiven him for that. Just, <laughs> that was the moment. If you need to point to the moment, David, that I stopped liking you, it was when you talked about the gin and tonics in Monaco. So, speaking of Monaco. Mm-hmm. Monaco is going to be considered one of the highlights of ESPN's coverage. What they will be doing, and unfortunately, again, if you are frustrated by chasing around Formula One on the NBC family of networks, um, you're going to be doing it on the ABC family of networks. Oh, that sounds like because fun. the way this is, Monaco in particular is, will work. The race will air live on ESPN in the morning, followed by the Indy 500. Then. The race in Monaco will be re-aired again on ABC. Okay. After the Indy 500. Yeah. <laughs> um, U.S. Grand Prix will be broadcast live on ABC. Which, okay. Okay, cool. Um, there's also some history with ABC and Formula One. Really? And I don't know if you know this. No, I don't. So when... The first Grand Prix were aired in the United. The first Formula One races were aired in the United States. It was on ABC's Wide World of Sports back in the '60s. Really? Yeah. So in many ways, this is a return to ABC for Formula One. It's a homecoming. Yeah, kinda. Now, were they on Wild World of Sports in like the segment of wackiness or something? No, it was and. Actually, the the first race was in 62 that they aired. Um, and then select races continued to, to appear on the network until 1988. Oh, wow. Um, and then ESPN started televising live uh, F1 races in 1984 with a 10-year deal. That was expanded to 14 races for the next four seasons and 15 from 89 to 93. And the number continued to rise each season until 1997, uh, which was the last year that F1 appeared on ESPN. It's so it's only been 10 years since it's been on the ABC ESPN family. 20 years. Right. 20. Wow. <laughs> I lost 10 years of my life right there. I am a lot younger than I look. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you mean to tell me it's not 2007 right now? No, it is not. Oh. We've been podcasting for a lot longer than that. Keep that in mind, too. No. 
We've been podcasting over 10 years. Well, we 2006 was about the time when the mail buoy started. Whoa. I might not be able to go on. <laughs> All right. So just really quick on wh- what the schedule is looking like. Um, Australia, China, Bahrain, and Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan and Spain will all be on ESPN2. Uh, Monaco on ESPN. The re-airing will be uh, on ABC. The Canadian Grand Prix on ESPN. The French Grand Prix and Austrian Grand Prix on ESPN2. British Grand Prix on ESPN. Germany, Hungary, Belgium, Italy, Singapore, Russia, and Japan back on ESPN2. Uh, the U.S. Grand Prix and Mexican Grand Prix on ABC, the Brazilian Grand Prix on ESPN2, and wrapping up with Abu Dhabi also on ESPN2. So, yeah, you're going to be chasing them all over the dial. You really are, but you won't find any of the races on the Ocho. Nope. But the Ocho is coming back. I heard. I heard. It's no longer just a dodgeball reference. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's actually real now. It's a thing. So do we have any, like, actual news that involves a, a car? Well, um, there's been more developments in the Renault Marson Budkowski story. Oh, really? Now, this was the story of um, the rumors that were flying last week and into this week over uh, Martin Budkowski or Marson Budkowski, leaving the FIA as head of the technical department with immediate effect. Um, And the rumors flying that he was headed to Renault. Um, Well, Cyril Abitbull was talking to Sky, and and he remained defiant early this week. He said, we want to be one of the top teams by 2020. It is at one time far away, but given we know what needs to be done, if you look at the one point. One to 1.5 second gap between the midfield and the top teams, it is a big jump. And that is why we need to be aggressive in what we do to be there by 2020. In this sport, you are not here to make friends. Obviously, there are ways to do things. And anything we do in terms of recruitment, not necessarily Marson, we need to grow. Endstone needs badly to grow. When we took the place, it was 475 people. It is now 620 people. There is no secret that those people need to come from somewhere, and we have to go chasing from some of the other teams. But that's not a team. No, it's not, and it's uh, somebody with a decent amount of knowledge of what all the other teams are doing. Now, word came out on actually earlier today, Friday, as we record this, that Marcin Budkowski had officially joined the team as a director, although he's on gardening leave for three months, officially, but Renault was officially signing him. Mm-hmm. Then Renault turned around and said, well, you know, just to keep everybody from, from really losing their crap, um, we're willing to delay his, his actual start date by another three days. So six months now. So we'll see if that makes people a little happier. I mean, the reality is six months um, and where we're going to be in the season, That's the, there's a lot of development work that's going to come out. Uh, actually, six months would put it at the sh- absolute start 
of would be like two weeks before Melbourne, so he couldn't participate in any of the de- any of the off season development. Right, which is probably why they are willing to do the six months to be able to say, "Oh, see, he didn't do any development work in this car, but look at all the upgrades we're going to bring through." Well, th- there's that too, but also step back and think about that for a minute. We are six months away from the start of the 2018 season. (laughs) (laughs) Keep that in mind. We are six months away, people. Start the countdown clocks now. Okay, could we get through this season first? Well, how about a little Malaysia stuff? So we didn't talk about it last week, but we definitely saw it. Um, In one of the practices, I think it was free practice one. No, we actually did mention this. The, oh, yes, we did. Actually, you're right. Because it was free practice three. No, it was not three. It wasn't? I thought they had to rush to get his car fixed. No, it was uh, fr- in one of the Friday practices. Okay. So it was not in free practice three. Sorry. Um, Roman Grosjean driving his Haas, following behind, actually, it sounds like it was, once again, Valtteri Bottas, mm-hmm. who dislodged a, a drain cover. Um, it, it was a failed weld of the drain cover, uh, that lifted it up, punctured, um, punctured Roman's tire, um, and he ended up spinning at 170 miles an hour and had a 17 G impact with the barriers. Ouch. Did a significant amount of damage. Well, Gunther Steiner, obviously over at Haas was really upset. (laughs) <laughs> As he said, that the, the situation was unacceptable and that it was not up to the standards required for F1 tracks. So the FAA, like we mentioned, believes it was a welding failure that led to the drain becoming dislodged, with circuit engineers forced to look at every gr- drain that did not have bolts in it and strengthen them ahead of the final practice. Now, as a result of all of this, Gunther met with uh, the chief executive of the Sepang International Circuit, uh, Dato Raslan Rizali on Sunday morning because they want compensation from the track for this. This cost <laughs> the team about 500,000 pounds. And Ouch. they believe, and, and arguably I could say they're kind of right, um, they believe that the track is responsible for this. Well, yeah, I can understand that. Gunther said, it was completely out of our hands. I cannot say, oh, okay. We now let's say three quarters of a million dollars. Uh, we we now let let's say three quarters of a million dollars go because somebody forgot to weld something in. It's all good. We pay to come here. We pay a fee to come here. Everybody has to pay. We discussed it and they were very professional about it. They have insurance. Let's see what we can do. So we'll see what happens. I guess there's further talks that are scheduled to happen between Haas and the team uh, in advance of the race in Japan. Uh, but I'm very interested to hear whether or not the circuit pays for some, if not all, of the damage that was done to the car. That would be interesting. Speaking of damage, so one of the other things that we also talked about was the very bizarre crash between Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. Mm, the post-race incident? Yes, <laughs> um, where... There, there's still a lot of questions as to what happened there and why and how and 
who is responsible and all of that. Um, but one of the concerns that happened was because of the way the impact was when it flipped that tire up and, and um, the impact on that rear axle, um, that the force of that could have actually driven the drive shaft into the gearbox and damaged the gearbox. You mean his brand spanking new gearbox with his brand spanking new engine? I don't know if this was a, a, a brand spanking new gearbox. The engine definitely was. I don't know if the gearbox was. But the problem was, if it damaged the gearbox, that was a five-place grid penalty to get a new gearbox. Yep. Well, apparently the team took the uh, gearbox flew it back to Marinello for extensive testing and determined that it was not damaged in the wreck. So he has escaped a five-grid penalty for a new gearbox. <laughs> However, someone who has not escaped a five-grid penalty is Valtteri Bodis, who is getting a, who is getting a new gearbox because... Um, they were unable to make his current gearbox last the six races required. Uh-oh. So since it is ahead of schedule that he is getting a gearbox change, um, yeah, he he's getting a five-place grid penalty in Suzuka. Uh-oh. So Pierre Gasly. Yes. The the kid that debuted and took Daniel Kvyat's seat. Yes. <laughs> well, there's some question about what he's going to do. Um, you know, he's he was confirmed for Malaysia, obviously, because he drove. And confirmed for Suzuka, there was question about um, whether or not he would be in Austin because that same weekend, which, by the way, um, because Pierre Gasly is running in the Japanese Super Formula Series, he's apparently extremely experienced in driving at Suzuka because they run a lot of races there. (laughs) Um, But it turns out that the weekend of the U.S. Grand Prix, as we mentioned last week, is also the same weekend as the final race of the Super Formula Series at Suzuka. Oh, my. The series where he is one point away from taking the lead and winning the Super Formula title. Oh. So, naturally, that's where he's going to want to race. He wants the title, right? Well, actually, what he has said is that he would actually choose racing in the U.S. Grand Prix over going for the Super Formula title that weekend. Wow. He says, a title is always important. After winning GP2, if I can win Super Formula, that would be great. But if I can race in Austin, that would be even more amazing. We will see. If I can finish the year in F1, I will finish the year in F1. It's my final target. It's exactly where I want to be in Formula 1. It would be a really useful experience. I keep learning in the car and feeling more confident, so every lap I can get with the team will be useful for the future. Well, he's got a point there, but wow. That's um, that's saying something. I'm willing to walk away from a title because I'm doing what I want to do. I want to be in Formula 1, but it's the pinnacle of motorsport. We get it. I mean, if I was offered an opportunity to drive in Formula 1, I'd take it. Would you now? I'd be bad, but I'd take it. Well, when he was asked if Toro Toro Rosso, I really hate their name because I can never get it out half the time. When asked if Toro Rosso had discussed the seat for next year, uh, Gasly replied, we didn't talk about it at the moment. They know what I think about it. If it was up to me, I would have already signed a contract. The only thing I can do is focus on my job and try to do the best I can. 
Last year was a good season. I went to Japan and tried to do my best there. I had a really good opportunity with Toro Rosso. I'm just trying to do my best. Aww. So nothing is confirmed yet, but he's trying his best. Therefore, that's why he doesn't want to give. He doesn't want to give the opportunity for anybody else to have their bottom in that seat. Yeah. Speaking of trying to get bottoms in seats, is Williams? Ah, uh, yes. Trying to figure out. So, Lance Stroll is. He's not going anywhere. Daddy Stroll's $30 million has got him locked in there. But they need somebody next to him, and Williams isn't sure about Felipe Massa. Well, I can understand. He has not had a stellar season. He's He retired once already. Kind of old. <laughs> he retired once already. I mean, Felipe's a nice guy, and yes, I just gave him the kiss of death, but... He retired already. Well, he's not had a good season, and I'll tell you why. He just doesn't realize why. He hasn't brought um, Filipino out at all. Yeah, you know, we haven't seen him at all, which is kind of disappointing. Which is really sad, because that's one of the reasons I like Felipe so much, is because he is the world's most adorable kid. Well, Williams is trying to figure out who next, and it sounds like the list is kind of short. Well, they're doing some, they've promised, what, two tests to Robert Kubica? Yeah, Robert Kubica and Paul DeResta both are doing a test between, uh, I believe it's going to be Suzuka and the U.S. Grand Prix in a 2014 spec car, so not a current car, because they can't get away with that. Right. But in a 2014 car, I'm going to put the two of them in there and test them. But let's think about this. Kubica, yes, Renault w- w- tested him, and he has driven a current Formula One car. He hasn't done it in race conditions, but he has done it. But he's been out of Formula One for six years. Mm-hmm. Paul DeRest has, been a- has, again, driven the current Formula One car, jumped in with no preparation whatsoever. Technically, he is the reserve driver for Williams, but outside of the one-weekend in what was it hungry yeah past race but he's had no time in a car whatsoever and he's been out of formula one for four years four years but they've got a problem they've got a big problem one is our understanding is that the the martini contract requires a driver who is over one of their drivers to be over or at least prefers one of their drivers to be over 25 years old right and you've got Lance Stroll, who really needs a veteran next to him. He needs. He, he needs cannot a big lead brother. a team. Yeah, he needs a big brother. So, what but, are your options? But here's the issue: because people are coming into Formula One so much younger these days, mm-hmm. they're either becoming superstars, Max Verstappen, or they're flaming out before they hit the 25 year old mark. Yeah. They're not developing their racecraft for four years and moving systematically up towards where Williams should be. And then at 25, they, they could pick up this younger, semi-experienced driver. So the best options that Williams is currently able to entertain are two drivers that haven't been in Formula One for a combination of 10 years— or 
a 36-year-old driver who retired already, and they pulled him out of retirement. I think Kubitz is 36 also. Yeah, he's not a he's young either chicken. either 35 or 36. He's not a young chicken either. Mm-hmm. And Paul DeResta, I think, is still in his 20s. Yeah. But... And if I had to lay down like what I thought was the right answer, if you if those were my three choices, and that was all I had, I'm gonna I, I would go Durasta personally. Well, see that there's a, there's a couple of things there. For starters, Williams is known for a very family atmosphere, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why Felipe fits in so well with the family and everything else. Is they're a very close knit team. And one of the reasons why, rumor had it, that one of the reasons why Paul DeResta was let go from Force India was because he was very difficult to get along with. Now, possibly not as bad as Esteban Gutierrez at Haas last year, (laughs) but he was known, or he, the word was, he had a reputation for being a pretty big hothead in the garage. Interesting. And that was one of the reasons why there was a lot of tension around Paul, especially when Paul was not doing well at Force India. But where I think Williams screwed up and is that I think they waited too long to sort this out because the options that they had available to them, if you think about it, really it was probably – Sergio Perez. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because Nico Hulkenberg was already over at Renault. You're right. Carlos Sainz is 20 or 21. I thought he was closer to 24. No, he's not. He was one of the things that they were talking about, it, uh, if you remember the year that he was driving with Max, is that, yeah, there, Max was the, the, the young kid in Formula One, and Carlos Sainz was supposed to be the older guy, but it was only like a year difference between them. <laughs> so that makes so, him like 21. Yeah. They didn't, they, there, there aren't a lot of options because the drivers that are over 25 – they're not going to be looking at a Williams for the most part. Because if they've stayed in the sport long enough to get to over 25. They're aiming for a Ferrari. They're aiming for a Mercedes. They're aiming for a Red Bull, even if they're not going to get into a Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But that's where they're aiming for. The only one left is possibly Sergio Perez. And, and per, yeah, Perez is probably about 24, 25. I'm not positive. But other than that, everybody else is running younger drivers. So there's been some rumbling about possibly Pascal Verlein, um, that, that between Mercedes and Williams and Martini that potentially an agreement can come into place to bring Verlein in. I think Verlein is probably 21 or 22. Yeah. Um, that maybe that that could work, but I don't know. Yeah. That one's going to be rough. I mean, trying to sort that out. I still go back to... If my choices are three, because I have to be over 25 and I want somebody that's got Formula One experience and I want all of these different things, I still think that if your choices are those three guys, you got to go with Durasta, even if he's known as a hothead in the garage. He's also very technically proficient, and one of the things they need is the good positive yeah. feedback on the test laps. Yeah, and that's one of the things I got to. I, I, I don't know about Kubica's reputation 
from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think that they're going to get the feedback that they need out of Lance Stroll. So they need another driver who can do that. And I think probably DeResta is going to be the only option. Yeah. Or Pastor Maldonado. No. Yeah, like Williams would make that mistake again. Seriously. Let's recall the last time that Pastor Maldonado drove for Williams and accusing the team in Austin that they were sabotaging him. Yes. Crashy McCrasher should never drive Formula One again. Inflatable bumper cars? (laughs) That would not be Formula One, but that would be fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, while we're talking about Sergio Perez, um, there was some mention on a Channel 4 coverage, and it wasn't a lot of – it was like one of these passing things, and I don't know if NBC even mentioned it. Um, But he was a bit sick last weekend in Malaysia. Really? Um, I didn't notice. Yeah, apparently during Friday practice, he was actually struggling to breathe. Um, He felt pretty poorly throughout qualifying on Saturday and admitted he was facing a massive physical challenge ahead of Sunday's race. As a result, they actually put him on an IV drip ahead of the race. Yeah. Now, that being said, he ended up finishing sixth. (laughs) True. But uh, Otmar Safnauer says that he thinks that there's a sickness that's going around the paddock. Um, He said after the race he wanted to stop but just kept going. He did what he had to and finished it. He said it was the hardest race of his career. I can understand why. It's not easy when when you're feeling fit in this heat and humidity. And when you're unfit, it's got to be really hard. Oh, wow. So it's believed that, that he's in much better shape for this weekend in Suzuka. Um, and the worst of it has cleared. Oh, I hope so. I mean, it's still a very impressive result when you feel so sick. And nobody's going to accuse Sergio Perez of being man sick. Okay. You know what man sick is, right? No. You've this, never heard this? This, th- this is a new term for me. <sighs> so I have to... I have to explain you, man sick. So the deal is the wife and a family gets sick. Food still gets on the table. The kids get where they need to go. You know, everything still happens. Husband gets sick. He has to go to bed for three days. Because naturally, men get so much sicker. And they can't function because they are sick. So that is man sick. Two people, same cold. Women still make sure everything else is taken care of. Men go to bed every day. Now you you know that Sergio Perez does not get man sick. (laughs) Hey, while we're talking about Force India. So the self-proclaimed king of good times, Vijay Malia. (laughs) Self-proclaimed. I didn't do that. <laughs> okay. The self-proclaimed king of good times, EJ Malia, was arrested this past Tuesday over allegations of supporting his F1 team with money laundered cash. Oh. Yeah. Um, so as, as we know, the, the Indian government has been going after VJ for quite some time, and he's been afraid to go back to India. Um, well, they now accuse him of fleeing to the UK to avoid arrest in relation to one billion pounds of unpaid debts. The Crown Prosecution Service said Malia was rearrested this past Tuesday on behalf of Indian authorities. 
The new charge is essentially showing where the money went to. For example, it is alleged that some of the funds ended up with the Force India Racing Team. Ouch. Now, what Vijay had to say is, I deny all allegations that have been made, and I will continue to deny them. I have not eluded any court. If it is my lawful duty to be here, I'm happy to be here. Now, he says here, rem remembering that he's in the UK and not in India. Right. Where they really want him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I will stay here. <laughs> Where I want to be. Now, you know, th this is just the ongoing saga. As a reminder, he was first arrested back in April following the Indian government's request for his extradition to stand trial over an alleged debt of 94 billion rupees, which works out to about 1 billion pounds. And I didn't figure that out in U.S. dollars, just in, in Indian monopoly money. Okay. Um, that's owed to state banks after the, after the collapse of Kingfisher Airlines back in 2012. BJ is currently living in the 11.5 million pound uh, Hertfordshire mansion once owned by the father of Lewis Hamilton. Oh, my. He's due back in court on November 20th, and an extradition hearing is due to start on December 4th. BJ was once known as the Branson of Bangalore for his business and sport empire. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know... He, he's not exactly living the life of a poor man in England, besides being in the 11.5 million pound house. He's been spotted being driven by a chauffeur around London in a silver Maybach, bearing the initials VJM on, on its license plate. His private Airbus A319 had the initials painted in gold on the engines and wingtips until it was put up for auction. <laughs> <laughs> now, by comparison... More than 4,000 Kingfisher Airline employees went without pay for seven months before they revolted and grounded the carrier in October of 2012. Seven months without pay. Yeah. Wow. So Jensen Button has come out of hiding again. Oh, they released him from an undisclosed location? Well, I don't think it was a matter of releasing him. He decided to leave. He, he, <laughs> he's not being held prisoner, so he's allowed out. And um, knowing Jensen's affinity for Japan and Suzuka, um, he's actually been out at the track this weekend oh. and speaking to the press. Um, one of the things uh, he was asked is, you know, does he miss F1 and, and what his thoughts are about racing? He said, do I miss F1? No. He said, I miss racing. I've sort of fallen out of love a little bit with motorsport. I think that maybe I left it a year too long racing in Formula One. Um, now, he was in the Suzuka 1,000-kilometer race a few months ago, which had some issues with some punctures and some penalties. Jensen did say he absolutely loved it and had been inspired to get back to racing. He said, as soon as we finished, I wanted to get back in the car and do it all again. It's been a while since I've had that feeling. Next year, I will be racing something. I don't know what yet, whether it will be in America or Europe or Japan. Now, don't get your hopes up here. <laughs> what he says is there are a few options, and I want to do a full season and take it properly seriously. So when he was asked about what series appealed to him, uh, Jensen highlighted the growing IMSA Sports Car Pack uh, Championship, provided he could get a drive in the top class. He said the GT category is great, but I'm not sure I can be in a car being overtaken by the lower-class cars. That's something I can't get my head around. He said, I'd love to do Le Mans at some point, but I'm not sure it's the right time to jump in and do it. He said, I think the LMP2 category is awesome, which is where 
Porsche and Audi were and have since left. left. And it's just uh, Toyota that's left, I think. Yeah. Um, he says, I think the LMP2 category is awesome. There are so many teams that has a lot of talented drivers, but you have P1. I can't get my head around racing a car that's 20 seconds slower than something else. Now, he says he has no interest in either IndyCar or Formula E. He says there are some great drivers racing in IndyCar, but it scares the, fill that in, out of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. He says, I'm amazed they still race. Very brave guys, but I wouldn't touch that. I feel it's necessary. I don't feel it's necessary at this point in my career. Formula E definitely has its place. I think it's great for manufacturers. The technology that it's being used, it's going to keep growing. But again, it's not something that excites me. I want to go racing and have fun. I want to hear the engine. I want to hear it roar. I want to drive something that has 600 plus horsepower. It's what I grew up with. <laughs> so no electric cars and no Indy car. Oh, so he's not coming to a racetrack near me. No. I think, you know, I still think he's missed his calling. He should be a pundit. I think so, too. But it, you know, it, if he wants to get driving, yeah, yeah, I don't think we're going to see him. Now, if he's going into the IMSA G sports car stuff, that we may need to keep an eye on. Now, granted, I think for us, the closest races are probably going to be like Atlanta and probably Road America. But... Yeah, we'll have to see because Mid-Ohio doesn't host them. No. No, but um, we'd have to look and see. You know, to be Jensen adjacent would not be a bad thing. Maybe maybe he should do the Pirelli World Challenge. That would be awesome. I would buy a Jen The only way I would buy a Pirelli World Challenge shirt is if it was for <laughs> Jensen Button. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. Sorry for the rest of the folks in Pirelli World Challenge. You're, you're, you're nothing. Sorry. But then there's Jensen. <laughs> okay. How about a new potential race location? Let me try this on for size. Let me know if this excites you. The Formula One Vietnamese Grand Prix. Really? Apparently. <laughs> yeah word is that uh f1 bosses are in talks with officials in vietnam about holding a race in the future okay so earlier this year bernie said he could have done a deal with vietnam but turned chance down as he felt there were enough races in asia but sean bratches has since said he wants more asian street races with a particular focus on holding them in iconic series or cities me, iconic cities so they're losing Malaysia, so they're looking for another race in Asia to replace it. So Vietnam is on the list, but also the and, and I don't quite understand the logic here, but also possibly a second race in China. Interesting. Yeah, the thought would be, um, yeah, they completed a three-year deal to retain the race in Shanghai, but possibly a race in Beijing which would be a street race because that's the other thing is formula one is trying to push new races to be street tracks because it brings the races to the people as opposed to at a dedicated track where people have to travel to it. But yeah, I'm not necessarily sure that means you get better races Azerbaijan. <laughs> well, the problem with the street track is it's dependent on the streets. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and the and layout that's that the they issue. can come up with. Yeah, National I mean, yes, there is the Super Mario Grand Prix, but still. Yeah. You get things like that long straight in the Super Mario Grand Prix and, you know, the seven-meter-wide corner at the old castle. So here's the other thing. So under the scope of the current bilateral agreements for the commercial rights, the number of races is capped at 25 per season. So according to Sean Bratches, that means that, well, there's there's room for four more. (laughs) (laughs) We know the teams don't want them, but, hey, there's room for it. We're going to for it. So word is that there are as many as 40 different venues that have reached out to Formula One since Bernie Eccleston has left the sport and expressed interest, including, oh, Portugal, which walked away because of Bernie, and Turkey, which walked Walked away away because because of Bernie. Bernie. (laughs) Yep. Very interesting stuff. And we, we do have some information about next year. New technical regulations. Well, yeah, there's new technical regulations. We know the halo is coming. Although I did read an article um, this afternoon that Formula E is really upset because I guess they're waiting to see what happens with the halo in Formula One, and Formula One has dragged their feet feet in getting the specifications out to everybody for the halo and formula e says we're waiting to see what happens for our 2018 car you haven't gone and released those specs and you're causing us problems (laughs) so it does sound like now that other series are looking at at the halo i'm sorry yeah um and i mean there was even talk that uh indycar was really hopeful that the aero screen was going to work um so but it looks like something's going to happen with that but what we have learned. New tires for 2018. No. <sighs> the drivers will be getting new gloves. Well, I hope they get new gloves. I mean, they're probably pretty icky after this last season. Actually, there's more. And, and, and it's more than just a, a, a new glove story. <laughs> actually, when, when you really hear this, it's actually kind of cool. So... The FIA has been working, and in particular, the, the medical folks at the FIA have been working pretty hard. And we had heard rumblings about this about two years ago, that they were trying to do something about this. Uh, but they've been trying to come up with a way to get more live telemetry data from the drivers um, with regarding their vital signs. In particular, uh, pulse ox and respiration and uh, heartbeat. Mm-hmm. They finally got that sorted out. There was some testing that was done in Hungary with several of the drivers that weekend. Um, They've managed to embed the needed sensors into the driver's gloves. So for the first time ever, starting next year, and all the drivers will have this within the medical car and available to the uh, FIA as a whole, they will be able to get live um, vitals from the drivers during the race, pulse ox, respiration, and heartbeat. And apparently, Formula One has never had the ability to see what a driver's heart rate was as a race progressed. Right. So there was always this assumption that, you know, at the start of the race with the tension, that the driver's heart rates were really high, but heart rate is a measure of athletic performance. So, And, and these are all athletes. 
but nobody really knew what that looked like on a Formula One driver. They're going to have that now. Now, there, there's other pieces to it. It's not just a matter of, oh, wow, hey, cool, it's another data point. We can collect this. But for the folks in the medical car, this actually impacts their response. Yeah. Because if there is a wreck, like, say, the example that they used was um, a couple of years ago in Russia, Carlos Sainz putting his car into that wall. Um, they know right because they see the wreck happen. They, mm -hmm. they have a live feed in the medical car. But with this data, they can see right away, based on, on the telemetry they're getting, is the driver breathing? Is he conscious? Um, you know, how quickly is he? All of that stuff. And that helps them determine how they need to respond as they're on their way, as opposed to waiting to figure out, is just, well, is he out of the car yet? Yeah. Is he out of the car yet? And figuring out what his status is before they get to him. Yeah. Is pretty cool thing, but I just love the idea that they could monitor what is going on with the driver as it's happening. So you could find out things like when Fernando had the off, you know, the one that was wind, but we were deciding whether he was concussed <laughs> or not concussed. Yeah, you know, the thought that they might be able to find out that his respiratory rate went down and he was you know lost some oxygen mm -hmm. maybe that was part of the reason he went off and not because there was a gust of wind or that there were geese i mean there's <laughs> you never know yeah it's really cool stuff the tech that is in that medical car is phenomenal and you know just a reminder the medical car is the only car that starts every single formula one race doesn't finish it <laughs> but it starts Every single race. Yep. It has a 100% start record. Yep. No other car in all of Formula One has a 100% start record like they do. And they've never finished the first lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in race conditions. When it's wet, they have finished first laps, but not. Have they? Not, oh, the medical car, no. Because that would be the safety car that would finish yes. the first and, lap. And the, yeah, the safety car does not the start lap. the race yeah. in Formula One. Yeah, no, the medical car does. All right. Do you have anything else? No, that wraps it up. So like at about 1 o'clock in the morning, our time, qualifying begins for Suzuka. Something like that. So we're going to stay up for that, right? No. And actually, it's not 1 o'clock. That, that's Australia is the one that starts at 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh. Well, Japan is 13 hours ahead of us. So it's like three, three four, or four, three or four in the morning. Yeah. Oh, I could be up for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we could call it a show on that. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.